Um, we always say vampire conditions, keep it dark, keep it tight, <laughs> keep whoa, the whoa. lid tight. All right, welcome back, everyone. I'm Victoria. And I'm Gloria. And this is the Chemist Confessions podcast, a human conversation on all the skincare science we talk about on the daily. And today we are talking about retinol. <gasps> Yay, finally. <laughs> um, so for those of you who are new to our podcast yes. or you're just returning to it for 2024, we do have a new format. Mm-hmm. Uh, every episode now will be a more dialed in topic on a very specific question. So right now we have talked about a few times in the mm-hmm. past, scattered throughout. I don't even know. We have one dedicated episode on it last year. Yes. And then before we feel like we've talked about it so much. I can't even tell you what episode. <laughs> I think we realized we didn't actually have a very good dedicated retinol episode. Exactly. <laughs> so it was just over the place. But this week, we yes. are going to address the question that the top question we get from our followers that is, can you use retinol during the day? Yeah. And, um, you know, that's the thing about retinol. It's just because it's so popular. There's never uh, there's always another question to answer. Yeah. But we get this one constantly because it's all about how to use when to use it. Um, so. We'll be going into that. Um, but first, we should probably do an intro on what is even retinol for those of you who are new to vitamin A stuff. Yep. So um, for those of you who are completely new to retinoids in general, definitely check out our first two episodes of the year. The first one is on the one that started it all, tretinoin. Mm-hmm. The second one is on OTC adapling. Retinol is a completely different category of retinoid. This is what we call a cosmetic non-OTC retinoid, which means you can buy it from anywhere, really. it's that actually what that really means is not regulated and that could be a double-edged sword Mm -hmm. it means that people can are free to do a little bit more to the formulas pair with different actives Mm -hmm. they can get creative and then the downside is they can get creative (laughs) and by creative we mean that you could find a retinol label and it doesn't have retinol in the product we're not mad about that we're we're, we're not we're not that doesn't make us lose sleep at all i think the most absurd (laughs) retinol product i've seen is on the cell rack of Marshalls, <laughs> there was a $2 makeup remover wipe that says oh. it's infused with retinol. And I'm you're like, like, why? Like, oh and also, I doubt it. Okay. And, and I think from that pack, the last ingredient on the list was retinol pomade. Yeah. Yes. I was like, yes. oh. Very offensive claims. <laughs> yeah. So with that, um, we should do a review. So some of this, for many of you, is you've heard it before, but let's review the percentages. Your concentration you're going to be looking for is anywhere between 0.1 to 1%, which is very different than the tretinoin concentrations we reviewed previously. Um, this is... Oh, oh, yes, go. Hi, Victoria. <laughs> uh, but sometimes I've seen claims for 2.5% retinol. <laughs> what is up with that? Well, if you do see that, just walk away. Don't <laughs> give that product a chance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've noticed. Um, I just want to call that out because we have noticed inflated retinol percentages mm-hmm. on products recently. Some of them, a lot of them don't necessarily actually have that percentage of retinol. I think the highest I've seen was like 10% or something ridiculous like that. But usually what that means is it has uh, a, say, 2.5% complex. Mm -hmm. So the retinol, usually you don't get a neat. You don't get, when we are formulating with it, it's not 100% retinol. It might come with a carrier of some sort. So they might mean 2.5% of this complex. How much retinol is in your final product? It's between them and the Lord. (laughs) Jesus only knows. <laughs> All right. Jesus, I don't involve me yeah. in this. This is like, wait, why? <laughs> I got more important fish to fry here. 
Okay. Anyways. <laughs> so with that, uh, we should remind you that, you know, retinol has to be converted twice in order for it to turn into retinoic acid, which is the actual molecule you want to interact with your retinoic acid receptors in skin that are going to give you all of those great skin benefits that you want. And with that, we should also talk about the percentages for one second. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that people feel like is more is always better. And especially with retinol, they feel like, is that 0.1% really valid here? Mm -hmm. Should we even try for that? And Gloria and I often say, if you are new to retinol and you're a beginner, try the 0.1%. Yep. You just don't know how skin's going to react. Right. So we ourselves, when we formulated our retinol, the double play, we started at the 0.3 level because ultimately we still want a little bit of that juicier benefit. But if you're like me, mm -hmm. having a hard time with this whole category of ingredients, yeah. there is absolutely nothing wrong with the 0.1%. And there's a data for us to back up this claim that 0.1% is a-okay and will get you benefits. Yes, so let's share a clinical here. <laughs> um, so this study is actually done by J&J. &J. So we're gonna actually guess that this might be Neutrogena's rabbit wrinkle repair, but I don't know if this is just a guess. <laughs> I mean, I don't think they have the goodness in their heart to be like, hey, we're never selling this formula, but. <laughs> Uh, we at J and J just really love testing random formulas, <laughs> random retinol. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah. probably that. Yeah. So they did a clinical. Um, this included sixty-two subjects, and they actually studied this retinol used for a year. Um, oh, that's pretty sizable. Yeah. Oh, that J and J money. <laughs> yeah. Very sweet. Okay. So they applied. They had subjects apply it once every evening. We should also mention that they were given an SPF 30 to use daily. And then they were actually advised that if they were um, going outside for sports or swimming, that they should also use an SPF 55, which I thought was kind of interesting because a lot of protocols don't actually account for that. Um, but anyway, so, you know, they use it for a year. And in terms of results, they saw a significant improvement for photo damage. They looked at things like crow's feet, model pigmentation. And they said 50% of subjects showed a plus two grade of improvement in many of these photo um, aging parameters. So all in all, it was very short and sweet, but it is to say that, you know, you can see benefits with a 0.1% retinol with the correct use of time. Like how long mm -hmm. you're using it for will matter here as well. Yeah. And like we always mention about, you know, basically any active we talk about, consistency is key mm -hmm. uh, with retinol. You could see benefits as soon as even one month in, mm. two months in, depending on the condition of your skin as is. But you'll definitely see that continued improvement if you carry out for the whole year. Yeah. We should also mention, and I should follow up here, is that the cool thing about J&J &J Money mm -hmm. is that they also did a histological uh, analysis as well, mm -hmm. where they uh, looked at samples of skin. They only did it for 12 subjects, so it was quite small, but they did see an increase in expression of type 1 pro-collagen. Um, they also looked at a marker called KI67, which is looking at markers for cell proliferation. Mm -hmm. All of this showed an increase. So that I think is kind of a nice um, thing to know on top of the clinical evidence. So you know, like how a 0.1% retinol is improving for skin long term. Yeah. And I do think that's some, uh, uh, a question that we get sometimes is they people worry that if they use a low percentage, you're not actually getting that deep layer benefits of, you know, like boosting collagen production, inc uh, increasing the thickness of your dermis, giving right. you that plump juicy new skin um but this um juicy <laughs> by jj diving into the histology or like the, your uh different layers of skin yeah. we are able to see that improvement it's not benched again say we can't really say how that compares to a low percent say tretinoin used mm. but it just know that we are still getting that benefit yeah totally um so that's 
really it for you know a nice quick review of retinol but i did want to derail this episode just a little <laughs> bit just because and i think gloria would like this and i'll explain why um it's all in the name of science here guys okay so as i was going down this retinol rabbit hole i was looking into the mechanism reviewing everything i found this really cool review i was actually looking at retinoic acid receptors this review was done in back in 1996 by the University of Michigan. Um, but I found the perfect example of why in vitro data, which is any sort of testing done in cell culture in a Petri dish, is very different than in vivo data, which is anything that may be done on um, live skin, skin, animals, like just anything that's live, okay? Um, and I feel like I have to share it because I think this would only uh support why we constantly complain about why you should find more clinical data mm -hmm. okay so turns out that in in when you look at retinol mm -hmm. uh, in vivo you can see keratinocyte proliferation which is you know you Your see that cell, cell renewal right mm -hmm. so that's everything that we know that retinol does but if you actually test retinol in vitro mm -hmm. you will see that you can't get that same result it's extremely variable and that proliferation is like modest at best like if you're reaching and it turns out it's because um in a petri dish those mechanisms and effects are they're just completely absent because you're in such a siloed environment and that's why like basically one of the main aspects of retinol and how it works you would never see it in vitro you couldn't come to that conclusion through in vitro i love this study <laughs> I think and I was like <laughs> best example ever. <laughs> I think time and time again, we'll get people that say, "Man, you're haters." <laughs> uh, we are not. <laughs> we get questions on new new ingredients or new skin technology type of questions, like, "Oh, like this company has this uh has this proprietary ingredient seems really cool. Here's a da their data. It boosts collagen, uh, kills bad cells. It does this, does that, da 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 da, da and all these like sexy stats." And people are like, what do you think? Sometimes they're there for our opinions. Sometimes <laughs> they want us to be like, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, great, keep going. <laughs> but a lot of times, what, that, that's where they stop, is that cell culture in, in vitro data saying, hey, this is pretty cool. I think it does something. Yeah. But there's no clinical evidence to back it up. And in actual use, and when you, formula, when you factor in the actual formula and everything else, the performance could be very different than what you're expecting from in vitro. In vitro, um, we mentioned this in the book a few times too, is it's just the first step. Yes. And the category where it's very guilty of this is all sorts of plant stuff. Yes. So many extracts are like, oh, it's proven to be anti-inflammatory and mm -hmm. this and that and anti-aging and traces of retinoids, whatever. All at the in vitro stage. Yeah. So imagine like how limited of a picture you're getting mm -hmm. just if if the testing only stops at cell culture, which unfortunately a lot of skincare ingredients do. Hopefully that is helpful to you guys. It explains like where we're coming from, why we always talk about the clinical testing and why it just gives us the best picture we can get objectively. But let's take a quick break. Chemist Confessions just threw a mini celebration because our Blank Slate Gel Cleanser is finally back in stock. We're proud of it, but also a little bit not proud of it because it's been probably five times this time. that it's been this out of time. stock. Yeah. Thank you all for making this one of our top sellers and having it always go out of stock. We just want to give a quick shout out to the Blank Slate Gel Cleanser. We just want to share a little background on the Blank Slate Gel Cleanser because formulating this cleanser is really quite the journey. Ultimately, it comes down to we want to find 
the perfect balance of cleansers, but cleansers can be so personal. Totally. Um, so functionally speaking, I think we tried to create a cleanser that was going to be gentle. So it's got that really nice skin friendly pH. But without some of the main surfactants that you typically hear about, that's the SLS, SLES, cocoa betaine. We're not saying these guys are bad necessarily, but there's definitely a cohort of users that just don't do really well with these Mm -hmm. surfactants. And that's really why, you know, the formulation aspect was really important. But that's not really where our formulation journey ended with Blank Slate. We only tested on our two faces, which just really isn't enough um, cleansers being as personal as they are. So that's when we brought in our product incubator members. Yeah, so this was actually one of the first tasks where we recruited fellow skin enthusiasts on our incubator program Mm -hmm. and have you guys decide on the final formula we wound up launching with. At that point, Victoria and I have narrowed it down to two finalists um, that we both really like. And then also at that point, after washing our face 18 times a day, we're so dry that we can't tell anymore. No opinion (laughs) anymore. (laughs) So the final formula was chosen by fans of our brand and we also specifically recruited for those of you with sensitive skin. Yeah. So this cleanser can work on a wide range of skin type. If you are curious, want to try out our cleanser or any of our other products, don't forget for our podcast listeners, please use the code CCPODCAST2024 for 15% off. We're back. And it is time to dive into the meaty, oh, the meaty, the meaty question of the day, which is, can you use retinol during the daytime? Yeah, um, Gloria found a really great paper that looked at trying to answer this question for us. The reason why they actually did this study was because they wanted to create a formula with um, 4% hydroquinone and 0.3% retinol. But they actually had a lot of concerns about retinol. They were like, wait, I've heard it degrades. Like, basically, uh, they wanted to really answer the question of whether or not retinol would degrade in this combination. So basically, what they decided to do was they would apply retinol to the glass of a beaker. And they would put these beakers under different conditions. So a couple of them were put under light. The other setting would be that they would be with and without oxygen. Mm -hmm. And through that, they wanted to measure to see what the retinal degradation would be over a four-hour period. I looked into why they chose four hours, and they actually wrote that the four hours is a little bit of a... uh, I think it's... uh, what is it? It's a subjective number. <laughs> I love that they own oh, no, it. We just yeah, decided yeah, four hours. Yeah, it's kind of like because uh, four hours, but that should be enough time for retinol to absorb in skin, right? So four hours it is. <laughs> I love that. It's. I'm pretty sure this is a, well, I mean, that's how the laboratory scheduling ended up working out. <laughs> four hours good enough. Uh, Arbitrary. People gotta go home, so four hours it is. <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, I think it's still very valid. Um. So after testing for four hours, we'll show the results here in this lovely, actually not confusing graph this time. Yeah. So this chart after four hours, actually, we should say that they measured the concentration of retinol remaining in the formulas at every half an hour. Half hour, one hour, two hour and four. <laughs> the, between two and four, they took lunch break. But it still gives us an idea of where retinol yeah. is trending. So the top two bars obviously held most of the retinol levels. And those are the groups that has that's exposed to no light, both of them, actually, very interestingly. So you can tell immediately that air exposure actually doesn't really affect it as much or as rapidly as light. And you look at the two bars that's uh, with light, no air and with light, with air, the degradation level is very, very similar. So at first glance, you're like, oh, my God, light does affect degradation of retinol. And it is such a stark effect. Do not use it during the day. But then you look at the actual white axis, you realize that this is actually percent of uh, percent of retinol remaining 
and the whole graph accounts between 90% remaining up to 100% remaining. So even in the worst case scenario, after four hours, you still have about 90% of the retina yeah, left. Yeah, less than 10% degradation, yeah. which is great. So, you know, that's actually should be very comforting to us all. For those of you that feel like, you know, retinol in your daytime routine, you've been using it that way, you can keep on using it with peace of mind. Um, and I kind of wanted to just um, review a second why we're even covering this question. You know, retinol, like many of the great actives, is not very stable. Not at all. It's also why you'll hear nowadays why they're looking at encapsulating and doing all these fancy schmancy things to it. It's because of stability um, and it hates light and it hates air. Yep. Uh, we ourselves, when we were formulating double play, did one with an encapsulated retinol. Mm -hmm. But even then, that was a journey for us to figure out which one to use. Because, yeah, because ultimately, not all encapsulated technologies are created equal. We had to go through the process of validating that that raw material does help keep retinol more stable. Um, but like Victoria, like the study dis discussed, um, the short-term exposure itself isn't what's going to impact it the most. Even though it hates air, it hates light, this is not something you will notice as you're wearing retinol, but it does highlight that you should think about the packaging that comes in and mm. how you're storing the retinol. Mm -hmm. um, we always say vampire conditions, keep it dark, keep it tight, whoa, <laughs> keep the whoa. lid tight. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I just kind of pull my head. Keep vampires tight? <laughs> uh, keep the lid firmly off. Coffin closed. <laughs> yes. Um, we haven't noticed most retinol does come in dark packaging and you can imagine because it is exposed uh, light does affect the stability very significantly yeah. but if you just keep it in your cabinet you don't have to worry about that yeah totally so hopefully that answers the main question but we have another question um this is another one that we get often and i can kind of see why um a lot of people ask what's the difference between retinol and ahas don't they both just increase cell turnover yeah that is a great question and i think it came about it come this question comes up because if you overdo either one of these things your skin tends to shed and people think, okay, they're both making me shed old skin. So they do the same things, right? Yeah. And really, I think the answer we would give is yes and no. Like, yes, they're both increasing cell turnover. And I think, but there's, there's differences here. You know, um, AHAs are really only meant to um, handle cell, um, cell turnover at the stratum corneum level. Whereas retinol, if you look at the mechanism, they're actually looking at your um, keratinocyte proliferation at the basal layer, which is actually at the deepest level of the epidermis, you know, right where the dermis and epidermis lining is. So if you think about that mechanism, it's, you know, a, lot, a little bit more complicated. And I think also keep in mind that the retinoid receptor and something we will go over next episode is it's actually a pathway that signals to a lot of different processes. So this is only one aspect of retinol. Um, and I think that's just something to keep in mind um, is that Yes, cell proliferation is one aspect, but it's not just the only thing that retinoids do for skin versus aging. Yeah, that's why we do recommend that if you want to see that, see really in-depth skin benefits, yeah. especially if you're targeting pigmentation, having AHAs and a retinol is a super helpful combination. It just comes down to how do you incorporate both in your routine without over-irritating skin. Uh, we, I personally really like using AHAs as just a once-a-week rinse-off yeah. mask on a night that I don't use retinoids. So um, that's how I kind of space it apart. Some people's skin can handle all sorts of actives and yeah. you can use it every day, no problem. Yeah, so hopefully that gives you peace of mind as well and that you can use both AJs and retinoids and they're both contributing in multiple ways, yeah. 
You might not know this, but if you're tired of hearing our voices in your ear about skincare science, you don't actually have to listen to us or even watch us. Just head to the blog. We've written a lot of great guides from our classics on how to combine actives like a pro to our 30 for 30 sunscreen test results from 2023. And even on skincare topics that you don't hear about a lot, like pregnancy and skincare, or even our thoughts on collagen supplements. Check it out. <laughs> head over to kevinsconfessions.com slash books. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we are back. And to wrap up this uh, episode, let's talk a little bit about how to incorporate retinol in your skincare routine. Right. So as we were saying, retinol is unstable. It's also why you hear a lot about encapsulation or retinol alternatives. Um, Look forward to some very fun episodes coming up. Fair. Yes. <laughs> so we just want to remind everyone, this is why decoding claims, clinical testing, and also checking for ingredients is really important here. Those will give you the best sense of, first of all, are you using the right amount of retinol? What other retinoids might be in your formula? Because we are seeing a lot of retinoid blends coming mm -hmm. in now. Um, and the other thing is just um, looking at clinical testing to give you an idea of, are you actually targeting the skin concerns you want? Um, you know, if you're looking at, at it for pigmentation versus fine lines and wrinkles, you know, any of those aspects, just hopefully there is some sort of testing to give you some guidance. Yeah, we do put a lot of weight on um, people who have tested their retinal products specifically. We ourselves put double play through a clinical test for this reason because what it boils down to is um, there is a lot of different ways to slice this, to crack this retinal formulation mm -hmm. journey. And like we mentioned, because retinol does fall into that cosmetic, practically unregulated category. Mm -hmm. So it's harder to tell the quality of the formula completely without a clinical test. Yeah, exactly. Um, so in terms of the formula, they usually come in cream form. Same thing as uh, the other retinoids we've reviewed. You know, we typically re recommend using it after your watery serum steps. A soothing serum is very helpful here. Um, and I think I did want to mention what we've noticed is there are a lot of retinol formulas out there that seem like they could function as a moisturizer. Yeah but it's hit or miss whether or not they could actually function as a moisturizer. So you can also um, decode that aisle again, just to give a general sense of like, are you getting your humectants, your occlusive emollients, just to see if it truly can function as and save you kind of that moisturizer stuff. Yeah, and it could absolutely depend on your skin type as well. I have dry skin and a really hard time with skin resonation. So I definitely can't skip on my regular moisturizer, even though it feels a little bit almost too creamy after yeah. we layer everything together. And I definitely still use a balm on places that I know will shed like a mofo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think the other thing we just want to remind everyone of is, yes, we did um, do a tretinoin episode talking about how great it is. And there's a lot of people out there that do feel tretinoin FOMO. Uh, we want to remind everyone there has been a study done that's looked at even a one-to-one -one compar direct comparison of 0.1% tretinoin versus 0.1% retinol. And in terms of that results, while tretinoin did perform better, they did look at the mechanism of retinol and found that it performed in a similar manner. So don't feel like you have to use tretinoin. You can still tackle those same skin concerns with retinol. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the plus side of retinol being in that less regulated category is that it's more easily accessible. Yeah. You don't have to go through a prescription process. Formulas comes in a wider price range difference and it comes with a different type of supporting cast that you can choose from that suits your own needs totally and i will say that um just as a reminder you will hear about retinol being generally considered as about 10 to 20 x less potent than mm. tretinoin so even though this one looks at 0.1 to 0.1 typically we will consider a 0.1 retinol 
more on par with like say a 0.01 trend note in terms of efficacy you can expect yeah and that's can, a great point yeah and you can check out our 2023 episode on retinol for those studies yeah and finally uh i guess you're gonna have to hear it for a third time is your sunscreen um but all in all hopefully that gives you a really short and sweet review of retinol and how to use it and uh why it's different and in some way are very different than aj's oh and also i guess we should mention this in this up in this routine guy part it can go into your routine day and night oh yeah but you don't have to <laughs> a lot of there are a lot of clinical studies that only use retinol yes. once a day and you will still get that efficacy yeah yes you can use it twice a day but if your skin is tolerant go for it for that extra punch but if your skin if you want to take renization nice and slow and only use it once a day at night that's kind of our recommended way to go about it especially if you have more sensitive or retinal sensitive skin totally and actually in a lot of clinicals they're only using it once a day yeah so that's it that's it so um thanks for tuning in next episode will be another retinoid it's going to be a very popular newcomer right now mm-hmm. and then the week after we will be looking at retinal alternatives victoria's favorite topic <laughs> <laughs> in the meantime if you have a burning skincare question you can find us at our website chemistconfessions.com with all of our great blog content um you can write to us at info at chemistconfessions.com you can dm us on our instagram at chemist.confessions or just leave your question on the youtube comments below but otherwise we hope that has been helpful for you guys in your retinal journey we will see you guys next week